Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, folks. I hope you are all having a phenomenal Wednesday afternoon. Hump day, I guess they call it. Yeah, tomorrow my baby girl turns 16, and I am totally stoked about that. I mean, I am I am so proud of what she's doing. She's going to go to Vegas with me for the A&MP conference. We're going to have fun. Hey, i got to brag about Richard Brooks' book, The Four-Year Career, How to Make Your Dreams of Fun and Financial Freedom Come True or Not. Uh, phenomenal. He started this out as a CD. Now he's written this book. And I tell you what, you talk about a, a really, I think, a good leave-behind piece. If somebody wants to know about network marketing, uh, this is powerful. We're going to be giving this away to the people that show up out at the, the conference. This is one of the great things about having friends in this profession. We're going to be doing some awesome stuff. Chapter 8, honesty can be costly, but telling the truth is always good business. Chapter 8 of the Little Red Book of Wisdom, the revised edition by Mark DeMoss. Mark is the son of the, the late Art DeMoss, who was the really the pioneer of direct marketing life insurance, what you see on TV today. He's the son-in-law of the pioneer of direct selling or network marketing financial services life insurance, Art Williams of the A.L. Williams Company, one of the handful of billionaires that have been created in network marketing, went from a high school coach to making business history. And I found Chapter 8 powerful because you don't hear a lot about honesty. I mean, you will hear about integrity, especially on this show, but you don't hear a lot about the true essence of being honest, being being focused. And this book is, as you as you study it, as you go through it, you start to realize that we're 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 literally talking about some pretty powerful information here. Stuff that, if you apply it to your life. Business or personal, it can change your life. Mark starts off in a story that just resonated with me. I, I mean, man, it's it's pretty powerful. He says, in the fourth quarter, as if capping an already record year, our biggest client signed a new contract with us at three times our largest fee ever. I know Business 101 warns not to let a single client be too big of the pie. But there we were, one client, one signed contract, and now a full third of our company's annual income. Two weeks into the new contract year, my colleague and I put our final touches on a comprehensive plan to lift our client to new levels of public awareness. The pieces of the plan fit and turned like interlocking gears, media relations, events, message point, collateral materials, and crisis management. Man, we slid the documents into our brief briefcase and flew to meet with our client. Now picture now a small conference room and a long hand on my watch crawling towards our 3 o'clock meeting. The one person missing was the vice president who had awarded us the ambitious contract. Running late, I mused, just about the time that the communications director slid something across the table. I've been instructed to go ahead and start the meeting, he said. Why don't you begin by reading this? I opened the envelope and felt the color leave my face. The man across the table had never supported our role. His letter called for a significantly reduced agreement. The issue behind this silent drama was not bulgerity, I can't say the stupid word, 
but a clash of public relation philosophies. Years later, I still remember the premise of that letter. Our client clearly resented the idea that we believed we knew better than they what their public relations program should look like. The letter suggested that my company continue to write and distribute the organization's news releases and press kits, but public relations counsel would no longer be sought or paid for. The letter laid before me. I looked up. And I said, your, your organization took 45 days to respond to our contract. I'm not going to respond to this letter in a 45-minute meeting. Let's just adjourn until your vice president can join us. This is pretty tough when you think about it. You're on a high going in. You've invested time, energy, and efforts. Your team has busted their butt. And here you sat with a client who's trying to renege on a signed agreement. Now, this is this is the interesting part. And this is what I want people to understand. There is no such thing as a Christian business. You notice I use faith-based words constantly. The Bible is very clear that to be a Christian, you've got to accept as your Lord and Savior. Now, if that's the case, then a, then a business can't be... A rock group can't be a Christian. A, a, it just doesn't work that way. There's no such thing as Christian music or Christian romance or any of that crap. It can have some really good foundational stuff in it. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because so many times, just like Mark, Mark, Mark deals in faith-based stuff all the time, run businesses run by Christian individuals who profess, but they're still human. They still run a business. They still don't understand that when you sign a covenant, an agreement, that you abide by it. Mark goes on, he says, after a while the vice president did come in, and, and though we, he brought no immediate consolation, more of the fog burned off. Yes, he had increased our responsibility and compensation. Yes, he had signed the contract, but their director of communication now wished to reverse the decision, and he had permitted it. Now we see we've got a, a lack of leadership. We see that the vice president doesn't really lead, but that his director of communication does. Now that presents a whole different training on, on leadership. Time seemed to stand still between the afternoon's body slam and the late night home. My colleague and I spent the hours deliberating in an airport lounge. Our most obvious response was to be, would be to restructure along the client's direction, salvage what we still had. It was a large account. But both of us were stunned and too fatigued to decide anything. We'd talk more the next day. By dawn, the answer had come. I would resign the whole account. We were a public relations firm, not a news release factory. We would not separate thinking from doing that was important to me. That right there stood out. See, so many times as a small business owner that's in the public relations and the marketing arena, I want I want to kind of just bow down sometimes to clients. Say, okay, I'll, I'll I'll take your money. I'll, I'll work with you. I'll, I'll, you know, if that's what you want, and I can't do that. 
And it's been tough. Paige and I have had these discussions because I've turned down clients. It's a tough call. There's some clients that have come to us, and we just don't take them. Then I've taken some clients after really deep soul-searching and prayer and analyzing and say, yeah, let's take that on. That's going to be a a very powerful type of challenge for us. Let's do that. You know, it, it, all different kinds. But here Mark said we weren't going to keep it at all. We were going to lay it down and just go. We were going to resign the whole thing. And while, and this is what Mark says, he says, and while this is our truest option, I knew it would affect every employee. I talked it over with our three senior advisors who supported my decision, and we called together the entire staff. Telling the story never got easy. I choked up as I told them they deserved better from this client. The resignation letter we sent burnt no bridges. As a matter of fact, they rehired us a couple of years later. Though I do plead guilty to charge that we acted as if we knew better than they did what they needed. That That's actually why clients hire us. matter of fact, that's why clients hire me. Our issue now, as we saw it, was whether to take a check at any cost, and we would not. That that helped me so much. I'm I'm I mean Mark and them they they work with clients about thirty four thirty five clients. They charge substantially higher than I do. I'm very tight with what I do with my clients. I take just a small handful every year. But this book has helped me. It should help you. See, so many times we. We want to cut it short. Maybe it's a business deal. Maybe it's a a one-time transaction at work. Maybe it's maybe it's doing something at work that you know is cutting a corner. That's not honesty. See, it's funny. There's an old myth, and I think it applies here. There's an old myth that says don't major in minor issues. Stay focused on the big things. When I was growing up, I thought that made sense. Then I joined the Marine Corps. Then I started studying my Bible a little bit. I started studying leadership. started studying character, ethics, integrity, critical thinking. Do you realize that if you let the little things go that they can ruin the big things. I have yet to find a company that has been charged with some type of, of wrongdoing. I've, I've failed to see a, a person, man or woman, that's been charged with wrongdoings, moral incompetencies, whatever the case may be, who continued to focus on the small things. They always took their eye off of the small things and got their butts in trouble amazing to me i've done it i i'm i'm living breathing example so it's not like i'm just calling y'all out and stepping on your toes i'm sitting here dancing on my own see when when i remember back in the 80s some of you are my age or older and all these great evangelists on tv jimmy swagger jimmy baker some whacked out job from texas all these guys and the next thing you know they all fell into sin. And then what happened was when their sin was found out, they tried to cover it up, and then some of them got in trouble with tax issues and all kinds of stuff. 
even the great Jerry Falwell, who, who Mark talks about in here, was not clean of all this. He 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 came in, tried to take over the PTL club, and and he got in trouble. I mean, it, it's it's an amazing deal. But there was one pastor, one evangelist, one person who comes to mind that was wasn't affected at all, and that was the great Billy Graham. And I believe that the reason the difference is is that Billy never took his eye off the small things. His son, Franklin, does the same thing. See, Jimmy Baker, he he got caught with his hands in the cookie jar with his secretary. Jimmy Swagger got caught with his hands in the cookie jar with a prostitute. Some of them got caught with their hands in the financial cookie jar. It wasn't because these great men of God didn't didn't believe. They took their eye off the ball. They took their eye off the small things. Billy Graham, many, many years ago, made it a point not to travel anywhere without four or five guys with him. They went into the hotel, got the hotel room, they'd... they'd get rid of the TVs, unplug them, turn them off. They focused on what they were there for. They were always together. They counted the, the tithes, the offerings, everything that came in. It was always in a group. It was never an individual. They held each other accountable. I believe we all need to do that. See, it's when you take the eye off the ball, whether it's a business or in a relationship, that issues happen. T.D. Jakes, who who's an interesting character all in himself, I've mentioned in the past, runs a gigantic megachurch, but then he also has a for-profit company that he runs, and he runs it totally separately. He learned that when you mix funds, you get in trouble, so he separated everything out, separate accounting firms, separate board of directors, separate officers, separate everything. I believe in life, sometimes you must keep your eye on the small things in order to be honest. Mark goes on, he says this, he says, one thing about public relations is that ultimately a client pays for intangibles. Our stock amount to our stock amounts to relationships, time, experience, knowledge, creative ideas. Been there, done that. Really, it all narrows down to objective counsel. And while every project may have some standard early steps, the outcome of every project is never given, never a promise, never a formula. It's a, everything's different. My my clients do that. They'll say, Troy, do you, I say I have a I, I have a basic format that I use, but every plan is different. Everything that you guys have to do is different based on your industries, based on your niche, based on the culture of the company. And see, like Mark. We've built our firm different. See, Mark says, we built our practice by telling clients what they need to hear, the truth, not necessarily what they want to hear. He said it would be so easy for us to say, sure, we can get you on the Today Show, the New York Times bestseller list, we can do all this. But listen to this next phrase. This is maybe the most powerful part today. Easy isn't always right. I have a client, phenomenal, phenomenal business. They did great last year. 
But when I came on as their PR and marketing consultant, I flew out to their headquarters and looked at stuff and saw how they were and, and how they interacted. There were some very early early things that I saw that was not congruent to their message. It wasn't congruent to the network marketing culture. So I had to, to it, because this is just my business model, I prayed about that. I focused in on what was happening, what, what, what I was doing, how I was addressing this, looking at it all, and very quickly wrote a small but direct email to them at the time because one of the owners was out of town and other owner was somewhere else. And I said, guys, here's what I'm seeing. This is a incongruent message based on the message of the company, based on the focus of the company. It's a hard thing to do because when you do this, you always know that you can get fired. But at the end of the day, they thanked me and said, you know what, we, we've talked about that internally. We know that's a weakness. We're working on it. That's all you can ask. See, when you tell the truth, even though it hurts sometimes, when you're honest, it helps. Mark shares a story in here. He says, some years ago, a client wrote that he believed that one of the years land that he had one of the year's landmark books. His publisher offered us first shot to promote it and sent us the book manuscript with a memo. After we reviewed it, we realized the book had no mainstream news value. Unwilling to waste my client's money or jeopardize our credibility with the media, I believe I surprised the publisher by telling him I thought that their ambitions were unrealistic and was certain that we could not meet them. Obviously, not surprisingly, they signed a different PR firm just a few weeks later. We got fired. Now, it, was, it went on to be a successful project, but Mark knew that they were not the people that could do it because they would not be willing to jeopardize their relationships. They were not willing to move off-center and in their personal belief, they did not believe they could take take the client. My clients range from close to a billion-dollar company to brand-new startups. I look at each client separately. Each client's got a different personality. Some communicate with me daily. Some, it, it's months in between. And, and, and it's fun because as I watch and as I see... Each client and the way they communicate with me allows me to see what kind of success they're having or why they're not having certain success. See, in life, if we listen, if we tell the truth, if we focus, we're able to help other people. See, it doesn't matter if you're a small mom-and-pop shop running running a, a small bakery and you decide to to lower the quality of the ingredients. Customers come in and say, this didn't taste the same as last week. Oh, it just must have been must have been your taste buds. But yet you know you lowered the quality of your ingredients. That's, that's not right. It's being dishonest. Maybe it, it's a small thing, and, and you husbands may get this, but if your wife comes to you and says, do I look pretty in this? Now, I'm not condoning you saying, no, you look fat. But there's nothing worse than you giving her false praise when you know, man, I just don't like the way that looks on her. 
it would be far better for you to be honest and say, you know what, honey, you you there's a couple of things that you really look better in, I think, than than that. On and and I think it'd be maybe more appropriate on where we're going tonight. Honesty is the key. See, honesty is what truly sets you apart from other people. Honesty is what builds your business, tears it down. What builds your relationships, tears it down. And if you're not willing to be honest in the little things, how do you expect people to to treat you honestly in the big things? You need to get rid of some of the myths, some of that false beliefs that you've had. It doesn't work. You need to keep your eye on the small things. You need to watch that. You need to focus. You need to make sure that you're not making little cracks in the armor. Because it's little by little, just like a, a, a ship. You don't turn a ship overnight on a dime, and you don't change and become a different person overnight. Little by little, when you're not watching the small things, is when you make that mistake. Not good, guys. I love this book for this. He's very straightforward. The Little Red Book of Wisdom by Mark DeMoss. I strongly suggest everybody buy it. It's great. Tomorrow, Chapter 9, Money Isn't Everything Good People Are, Creating a Winning Corporate Structure. Folks, live life like it's an epic adventure. I'll see you at the top. Be back here tomorrow with me on RealMentorsRadio.com. Bye now.